Good morning. Good morning. Everybody doing okay? Yeah. Well, some of you are. That's good to hear. Those of you that are doing okay, spend some time with those that aren't. Encourage them a little bit, okay? Maybe buy their lunch or a cup of coffee after lunch, something like that. You know, free food always helps people out, right? Okay. Yeah. Amen. I got an. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Okay. Great. All right. Y'all are a lively bunch. <laughs> okay. Back it off. You're scaring me. All right. When I was in high school, I wanted to be just like Mel. In fact, I made up my mind I was going to be just like Mel. Mel was the part-time music guy at the church that I grew up in. He taught youth Sunday school. He served part-time at the church because he was the full-time junior high choral director at the junior high in the small town that I went to high school, where I basically grew up. Well, I didn't grow up. I got older in that town. So I had already, at that time in my life, I had already felt like God had called me to vocational ministry. So I had already surrendered to ministry. And so what I uh, wasn't sure of was what that specifically meant, what kind of ministry, what area of the church the Lord wanted me to serve in. And so as I got to know Mel, and as Mel invested in my life, I began to think, well, this is exactly, Mel and I are a lot alike. I can do this. I'm a little bit of a musician, so here's what I'm going to do. I am going to, I'm going to go to school. First, I'm going to try to graduate from high school, and then I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to get a music degree, and I'm going to be a choral teacher somewhere in the state of New Mexico, and then I'm going to serve part-time in the church as a, as a music guy, uh, as a music minister, as they used to say back in those days, and I'm going to volunteer as a youth worker and teach Sunday school, and I'm going to take some young men under my arm, under my wing, and I'm going to mentor them and disciple them and show them how to have a quiet time and how to memorize scripture. All that stuff that Mel did, that's exactly what I wanted to do. So that's what I did. I went to Eastern New Mexico University. I earned a degree, or to earn a degree in, in choral education. But once, once I got there, I, I discovered that um, I wasn't doing exactly what the Lord wanted me to do. See, Eastern is a unique school. You can go there and you can actually get a degree. They call it a religion degree, but it's actually a theological degree, just like you could get at Wayland Baptist or Howard Payne or Hardin-Simmons or any of those other Christian schools. It's not taught by the professors, the other professors. It's taught the, the degree, the, the Bible classes that you take are taken at the Bible chairs. So the Christian Challenge, BSU, or the Wesley Foundation, which is the Methodist campus ministry, the, the Christian Church campus ministry. So those guys are not only the directors of those campus ministries, but they're also college professors. So I, I got a theological education from believers, okay? It's, Eastern's kind of a unique school in that. If you want to know more about it, come talk to me. I'll tell you about it. I am living proof. Dr. Bunce graduated from Eastern with his bachelor's degree. So it's not just me, but it's the big boss too, okay? Anyway, so I went there, and, and I, I, as I was going through and trying to study and learn, and again, had this idea of I wanted to be like Mel. I had my plans all made. I had it all figured out, and I was sticking to it. I wasn't going to change. I thought I knew exactly what I needed. The, the key phrase is, or the key statement is, I. I thought I had it all figured out. Well, the Lord kind of, through a series of circumstances, he, he revealed to me that I had it slightly backwards. So what I did was I flip-flopped. I got a major in religion and a minor in music. I, I, did it, I didn't have to make a huge adjustment, but I had to make a small adjustment. But the, the key is that I had to make an adjustment to the original plan that I had. 
that I thought I was going to do. The Bible is full of all kinds of scriptures that address this issue of doing our own thing. And even it could be a good thing, but doing our own thing as opposed to doing what God wants us to do. So if you have your scriptures this morning, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, or to scroll to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, depending on your context or your generation. And I know some old people who are scrolling too, so that's good. Don't take that wrong. When I say old, I mean vintage. That's what I mean. And we're going we're gonna to look at a lot of scriptures this morning. I'm going to kind of launch from Proverbs, but we're going to look at a, a, a bunch of scriptures this morning. So Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, this is what the scripture says. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. So let's kind of unpack part of this a little bit. A person's heart plans his ways. Now, some translations might use the word mind or wit instead of the word heart. And either is correct. It's really, it's referring in this figurative sense, it's referring to the place where we make decisions. The center of our lives. It can be the heart, it can be the mind, it can be the will, or even the intellect. And what this verse does is it reminds us that on our own, in our heart, at the center of who we are, we plan our own way. We, we plan the course for our life. We, we put in motion the, our course of action. Most often we make decisions about our life based on what we want or what we perceive that we need or even how we feel at the time or even according to our, our talents and abilities. But there are some difficulties that we have to face when making our own decisions. First of all, our view is limited. We have a limited view. We don't know the future. In fact, we are incapable of seeing what lies ahead. There's no way that we can. We can predict it or we can hope for something in the future, but we really don't know. We don't know for sure what's going to happen in the next five minutes or even the next five seconds, let alone the next five years. And so when we begin a journey, we can plan what we would like to happen, and we can, might even anticipate what we think could happen, but ultimately what actually happens is beyond our control. We don't like that. I don't like that. I'm kind of a control freak. I want to know what's going on. In a sense, we kind of have this type of a tunnel vision. We can only see things from our limited perspective. We're only seeing what we hope to be true at some point in the future as we, as we look forward. So phrases like, hindsight is twenty twenty, or I wish I would have known then what I know now, those kind of statements that we make should remind us that we really have no idea what's going to happen in the future. As hard as we try to think in that direction. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 7 says, Yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell him what will happen? <laughs> My great-great-grandfather, Bergman, had a friend who was a dreamer, a big dreamer. This was like around the, the early 1900s, around the turn of the century that, that, the turn of the century that we weren't around for. So he had this friend, and this, this guy, always these schemes and dreams, and he was always going to my great-great-grandfather and asking for money and partnering, and he'd say, yeah, I think that's a good idea, let's... I'll invest in that, and then it would you know, blow up in his face, or, or, it would, or it would fail, or it just wouldn't make the kind of money that they were hoping it would. And finally, this guy approached my great-great-grandfather, and he said, I've got it. This is going to make us rich. We're going to sell cheese door to door. And my grandfather was like, wow, 
that sounds like a great idea. So he goes to my great-great-grandmother and explains kind of the whole plan that this guy shared with him. And, and my great-great-grandmother said, no, no, I'm putting my foot down. We have invested way too much money and nothing that this guy has dreamed up has ever come true. J.L. Craft will never amount to anything. I could have been rich. I wouldn't have to be here with you people today. Now, I'm sure that if my great-great-grandmother would have been able to see the future, she would have invested in J.L. Craft, and I would be living somewhere else with a lot of money in my pocket. Maybe. I sort of come from the rebellious side of the family, so I'm sure I would have been cut off. But that's a whole other Bible study right there. So am I, am I saying that we, don't, we shouldn't plan for the future? That, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, because of what Scripture tells us, is that because our view is limited, our plans, the plans that we have in our hearts, should always be tentative. Always. Any plan that we have, any plan that we make, should always be tentative. In the old days, remember the old paper calendars? If it was a tentative appointment, what did you do? You wrote it in pencil. Why? So you could erase it. When it was concrete and set, you wrote it in pen. When we're making our plans, we should always write our plans. Whatever our dreams, our goals, or anything else we have should always be written in pencil. So that if the Lord reveals to us an adjustment to that plan, or even a complete abandonment of that plan, we can erase it and write in ink what He's called us to do and what He's leading us to do. Something that might help us to, uh, with our plans is, is for us to remember that if we are followers of Jesus, if we have Christ in our life, that we actually no longer belong to ourselves. So we really don't have a say in our lives. We've given up that right to follow Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Now, this passage, the context of this passage, Paul is speaking of sexual purity. But it can be applied to any other part of our lives, can't it? We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. Therefore, we have given up any right that we have of making our own decisions. We don't like that. I don't like that. I'm a control freak. Just ask my wife. My kids just think I'm a freak, but my wife knows I'm a control freak. So though our view may be limited, God's view is eternal. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, James writes for us, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will live... I'm sorry, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Why is James giving us this word? Because he's reminding us that our plans should always be tentative. I will do this or that. I plan to do this or that. If the Lord allows me to, because God's view is not limited at all. He sees the big picture. He sees everything and he knows what's best for us. We can't see that sometimes. Isaiah 55 
verses 8 and 9 say this, For my thoughts, this is God speaking, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Now, we can try to understand, and the Lord has given us His Scripture to help us to understand Him. And, and this is the way that one of the ways that He's chosen to reveal Himself to us. And one of the ways that He gives us guidance and direction along with the Holy Spirit speaking to us and guiding us and directing us. We can trust Him completely. But we have to recognize that we cannot understand necessarily everything that God is calling us to do. But we can trust that if he's calling us to do it, it's a big deal. And that we should fall in line with what he wants us to do. The Lord knows best. He's got a plan for each one of us. In fact, the second half of Proverbs uh, chapter 16 verse 9 says, But the Lord determines his steps. We make the plans, but God is the one who directs our steps. Because he sees the big picture, as I said before. In fact, he actually created the picture. So we've got to learn to surrender more and more to His ways and stop trying to be in control. I don't know if there may be some of you in here who play golf. There's a beautiful golf course in our state, the Lodge Golf Course in Cloudcroft. If you've never played that, take lots and lots of golf balls because there's lots of forest and you're going to lose at least one. I promise you. But there's one particular hole. It's, It's actually one of my favorite holes on the whole course. Where the tee box is here, there's a big hill, and you can't see the green because the the hill, and then on the other end, at the bottom of the hill. So the hill is, like, huge, and it's in the middle of the fairway. The golf course, I don't know if they hire them or if it's a volunteer or whatever, but there's a spotter that sits at the top of the hill. And when you walk up to the tee box, the spotter holds their hand up like this to say, wait, somebody's on the green, because you can reach the green. If you get the ball to the top of the hill, it's that steep of a hill. It'll roll all the way down to the green. And if you're really good, you can make it fly to the green. I don't know if I'm that good or not because I can't see the green. So they say, don't go. There's somebody on the green. And then they wave you through. Then you hit the ball. And if it, you know, depending on if it's in the middle, it's, you can kind of guess it might be on the green. But if it's over, they spot the ball for you. How do they do that? Because they can see the whole thing. They can see the tee box and the, whole, and the green. In a sense, in a small sense, that's, that's part of the way that God works in our lives. He's the spotter for us. He's, he's much more than just a spotter. But you understand what I'm saying, right? The illustration. He can see the entire picture. Why wouldn't we trust when he says, do this or do that or don't do this or don't do that? We should trust him. Our view is limited. God's view is eternal. Secondly, our view is colored. What I mean by that is our view is tainted by what's happened to us in the past. Our view can also be colored by the current circumstances in which we find ourselves. It, it, it is affected. Our view is affected by what we perceive to be true or what we think to be true, which I guess is kind of the same thing. And because our view is colored, it changes as our circumstances change. And so this, of course, influences the plans that we make. We're, we're a little bit fickle, aren't we? For a little while, when I was younger, my, my dad was in the military, so I grew up around Air Force, Air Force bases. And I thought, I, I want to be a fighter pilot. 
That'd be great. You fly really fast jets and you get to shoot bullets at the ground and it looks cool when it sprays up. You know, But then I realized that there's other people that shoot at fighter pilots. <laughs> that doesn't sound so much fun anymore. My circumstances changed, so I, I changed my mind. I went into a much safer calling. I, I became a youth pastor. <laughs> just, just barely safer, yeah. <laughs> I almost said there's no shooting, but that's not true anymore. So that's a whole other Bible study. Let's move on. So our view is colored, and it changes, but God's view is pure, and He never changes. Right. Hebrews 13.8 reminds us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, Today and forever. First Samuel fifteen twenty nine says, Furthermore, the eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not man who changes his mind. Our view is limited. God's view is eternal. Our view is colored. God's view is pure. The third thing is that because our view is limited or colored, our decisions or our plans may only be good instead of what's best. When I served on staff at, as the youth pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Las Cruces, I served with a guy who uh, was a former professional baseball player. He never made it to the big leagues, but he played professional baseball. He's on a, I have a card, a, a baseball card with his picture. I tried to get him to autograph it for me. He said, that's just silly. I said, I don't care. It's not worth any money, but it just looks cool. I can say, look, I knew a pro baseball player. His story is basically this. He went to high school in Tucson. He... He uh, ended up going to New Mexico State, and while he was at New Mexico State, he was drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers, and he played in the Milwaukee Brewers minor league system for about three seasons. While he was in college is when he came to know Jesus. And during those three years of playing professional baseball, there was just something that was kind of nagging at him. He was a very gifted. He was one of those. He, he wasn't the greatest athlete, but he was a smart, smart baseball player. In fact, Craig Council the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, and my friend played on a minor league team together. They were the same kind of ball player. Who knows if he ever would have made it to the big leagues or not. But because of this, this sense that he had, he was doing, he was living his dream playing professional baseball. In fact, the, the Brewers were grooming him to be their next one of their middle infielders. He just felt this overwhelming sense, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And he retired from baseball and he went to Spain as a missionary for five years. And then he, then he came to Las Cruces. And that's, that's how I got to know him. He, we, were, we served on staff together. Now he's pastoring a church up in Colorado. Now I'm not saying that every time we have a dream or a vision, that, that, or, I mean something that we want to do or that we're gifted at, that God is going to call us out of that to vocational ministry. I'm not necessarily saying that. But what I am saying is, again, our plans and our dreams even need to be tentative dreams. Even if we're gifted at something, God may call us away from our gifting. And I'm talking about our physical ability and gifting and those kind of things, not our spiritual gifting, because our spiritual gifting, again, that's a whole other Bible study right there, but our spiritual gifting is what God uses in the kingdom to build up the church. It's not always giving up something like pro sports. Pro sports was good, but what was best for him was to go and be a missionary now to serve as a pastor. But it doesn't have to be something that big or fancy or exciting. Another friend of mine was a, a junior high choral director in a public school system in one of the cities in our state. 
after a little while, actually after one semester, he realized he was running from God. And so he re- uh, resigned his position, went off to seminary, got a degree, came back to New Mexico and was a, a staff guy for a long time and then pastored one of our churches for a while. And he still continues to serve in ministry. It was because his plan was good, but God's plan was best. Even Saul. Saul was convinced that this new movement of a religious belief was a threat to his Jewish, his Jewish orthodoxy. It, it was a threat to everything that he believed in, everything that he held sacred, everything that he knew to be true or that he thought to be true. And so while traveling to Damascus, you've heard the story. While traveling to Damascus, he had this encounter with Jesus where Jesus asked him, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in an instant, Jesus changed his heart. And he changed his name and he changed his mission. And Saul was no longer Saul the persecutor, but he became Paul the apostle, a servant of Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, Paul testifies this. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. He was the very best Pharisee he could be. And in this passage, he's telling us that none of that mattered to him anymore. What mattered to him now, at the time of that writing, when he wrote that, is knowing and following Jesus. It was changed. Paul's perspective was changed because of the encounter that he had with Christ. We are sometimes just as guilty of choosing what is good instead of what might be best or what God has for us. We have a dream that we want to accomplish, even for the kingdom. Or we see a need and we want to meet that need, which is a noble thing. Or we, or we want to do some type of an event because it's that time of year to do that kind of an event. And those are all good things, but it may not be best. We sometimes say, Lord, we want to do this, so will you please bless it as we work Or as we do this thing for you. But I believe the better prayer for us to pray is, Lord, what is it that you are doing and how can I fit into your plan? How can I join you in what you are already doing? We might be surprised at the response that he gives us. And it's a subtle difference. But the key is, and God may... may send you in the same direction. Maybe the reason that you have that dream or that, that desire is because He's planted that in you. And that's how He's going to get the ball rolling to do that ministry that He's called you to do. But we have to check that and make sure that's exactly what He's leading us to do. Our way may be good, but God's way is always best. Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11 says, The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord's...